and welcome to Family Health and Wellness podcast series for parents and professionals working with families, parenting tips. Family Health and Wellness is a part of the National Extension System, which provides research-based information and is a program of Cornell Cooperative Extension of Suffolk County. I'm Rory McNish, the host of this series, which will showcase family health and wellness educators who are experts in their field of child development, positive parenting practices, nutrition, and health. Our goal is to help adults make researched informed decisions for themselves and their families. I'm pleased to welcome Kara Weiner-Sultan, who will be joining us today to talk about raising a resilient child. Kara is a graduate of Cornell University, social worker, and an educator with Cornell Cooperative Extension Department of Family Health and Wellness. All right, Kara, I think all, we all need this topic for sure, parents and children alike. I feel like we all have pandemic fatigue I know I do. As adults, we face challenges coping, yet our children have been stressed like never before. So tell me, Kara, how do we take care of our children and help them to be resilient? I couldn't agree more, Rory. In some ways, it feels like getting through days now is so much harder. As much as we have all tried to adapt to this new normal, it's still incredibly challenging to be caregivers during this time and take care of ourselves. So while I don't have the magic answer today, sorry to disappoint you, um, <laughs> I have some information behind the science of resilience and things that have been shown as effective tools uh, to use to help us manage and to overcome difficult times. That sounds great, Kara. I think whatever tools we can use as parents to help our children be resilient are welcome for sure. I agree. So let's get out the toolbox and start with a short story, if that's okay. Sure, sure. Go right ahead. Okay, great. I'm going to tell you a little story, and I think it really drives home the point of resilience. Okay. Okay. A five-year-old child watched helplessly as his younger brother drowned. In the same year, glaucoma began to darken his world. His family was too poor to provide the medical care that might have saved his sight. His parents died during their teens, and eventually he found himself in a state institution for the blind. As an African-American, he was not permitted to access many activities within the institution, including music. Given the obstacles he faced, one would not have easily predicted that, I, that he would someday become a world-renowned musician. All right, Rory, any ideas of who this might be? <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I, I would take a stab at Stevie Wonder. Yeah, you know what? That's funny. Most people do think it's Stevie Wonder. It's actually Ray Charles. Oh, okay. So, yeah. close. That's incredible. I knew he was blind, but I had no idea his life was filled with uh, those challenges. When I hear that, I think... How did he get through even one of those stressful events? I agree. When I read that story, I just kept reading and reading and thinking, wow, how is it that some people persevere while going through so many experiences such as that? Um, you know, many people in that situation would not have gone on to lead a successful life, but he did. So why? Why did Ray Charles succeed and why do others do not? Well, I guess hopefully you have that answer. <laughs> well, let, I'll try. I'll try to break it down. I, I want right. to start by talking about the actual definition of this word resilience. It's used a lot. It's thrown around, but I want to establish a working definition first. So when you look up resilience in the dictionary, more or less, you get a definition of the ability to recover from or adjust easily to misfortune or change. Yeah, that's definitely Ray Charles. 
Yes, exactly. I don't know if it was easy all the time, but he definitely recovered. Mm -hmm. um, so let's take this one step farther, Rory. The Center for Developing Child at Harvard University, which is a place that has done extensive research on this topic, says that the core of resilience is this positive and adaptive response in the face of significant adversity. So that sounds very jargony, but what I'm trying to say is that the key to resilience is how we respond to adversity, not that it exists in the first place. I think I get that. You mean that bad things will happen in our lives, that's unavoidable, but the key is how as parents or grandparents, we respond to them, which will set the stage for resilience. Exactly. So these bad things, they're going to happen. Um, we talk about the difficulties that Ray Charles faced and that we all face in our everyday lives. We call them risk factors. So risk factors are the stressors or the negative events um, that happen in our lives. Do you have any risk factors in your life, Rory? Yeah, right now it's shopping. Yeah, exactly. And I think that exactly drives home my point. Um, risk factors can be big or small. Many people think you have to um, ha go through an earthquake or a tsunami or a health crisis or a loss of a job. Um, hopefully many of us don't encounter those on a regular basis, but even small stressors um, can be counted, so to speak, as risk factors. And by that, I even mean something like shopping a colicky baby, a new baby, mm -hmm. failing a class in school. So I think it's important to note that risk factors include things on the individual, the family, and the community level. All right, so that's the bad news. How about overcoming these things? Right, we can make very long lists of risk, risk factors, right. um, but in order to overcome them and build resilience, we like to talk about the protective factors. So the protective factors are the things that promote healthy coping and adapting, and they help us bounce back. Uh, these bounce back factors are the protective factors and enable us to overcome the obstacles in our path. And in fact, the more protective factors you have, the better. So I think an analogy I use a lot in teaching is to envision an umbrella and to envision you standing under an umbrella on a rainy day. Mm -hmm. So you're standing under the umbrella and the rain is pouring down you. Those are our risk factors. So as you know, with rainstorms, sometimes the rain is heavy, um, pouring down torrential rain. Um, sometimes it's light, but at least in this area of the country, um, one thing is for sure, there will be rain. So the rain can be things like poverty, illness, financial strain, moving, parental stress, substance abuse, all sorts of things. So it's raining and we put up our umbrella and the umbrella is the protective factor. The protective factor is the thing that gives us comfort and helps us bounce back. And in fact, what I'm gonna talk about now is really what researchers have identified as six main categories of protective factors. So if you think of your umbrella and you think of all the panels, there are six main things that are gonna help protect you from that rainstorm. That analogy really makes sense. Can you share more about what those six protective factors are? Okay, so these are my um, six factors, key to success to build parental resilience. Um, let's start with number one, which I think is the most important one, and all the rest of them stem from that. And that's what we call parental resilience. Um, basically, that means that we, we all need one caring adult to look out for us, someone to be consistent, loving, reassuring, and be there unconditionally, no matter what mistakes and challenges we make. It doesn't have to be your mother and father. Um, it can be a teacher, a religious figure. In the case of Ray Charles, I think he must have had alternate um, people to be there mm -hmm. for him. Sure. 
Um, but I think there was a famous psychologist who actually taught at Cornell named Dr. Yuri Bromfenbrenner. And he uh, was famous for starting the Head Start movement in the 60s. And what he said, it's not merely biology, what shapes a child, but it's environmental influence as well. And he has this great quote that I think really hits home the, the, the point of parental resilience. And that is that every child needs at least one adult who is irrationally crazy about him or her. Do you like that? Yeah, that's a great quote. Um, it definitely exemplifies your point. Now I can think of my own people that were there for me it, and it actually was my mom and dad. And uh, so I was a teenage alcoholic and my dad had gotten sober before me. He, he was an alcoholic too. And so I grew up with mm -hmm. that. And the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. Sure. But uh, once he got sober, his eyes opened up and he saw how, what I was doing. And the diligence and the love of my parents helped me get through it. And I've been sober ever since. Wow. And that, Rory, really drives home what we're trying to talk about. Um, you were standing there under the umbrella with your parents struggling. The rain, the alcoholism was going to, was coming down. And because you had your parents there to guide you, and certainly they knew what you were going through, you overcame it. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. Um, that is, that is exactly what we're talking about. Um, so a, a parent, an adult, will help a child deal with the consequences. I'm sure that was very much part of your experience. Oh, yeah. Teach them but also know that they're always looking out for them. If you make a mistake, they will be there. You know, and that is really the point of, of a best of person is to be unconditional. If you trip, if you fall, you will pick them back, you, they will pick you back up again. Right, um, right. So if you have that, that leads me into protective factor two, which is what we call nurturing and attachment. So it's sort of self-explanatory to the degree. Um, nurturing and attachment are behaviors of parents that we strive to achieve. So nurturing means comforting your child, responding to their cues, their emotions, validating their feelings. Um, maybe not always fixing a problem they might have, but listening. Listening is so important. Yeah. Um, and this starts so early. You know, you know when they're little babies and they're cooing and cawing and they're pointing to objects. It is so critical for a parent to engage with that child. You know, a lot of parents think, oh, I'll, especially these days, I'll, I'm on my phone. They don't notice that I'm on my phone, but they do. So even before they can speak, really responding to your child's cues. Um, this whole theory is called serve and return. So if a child points to something or smiles, you should respond. You should say, oh, look at the apple or, oh, look at the moon. Um, and then it builds as kids get older. Uh, this back and forth, this reciprocal communication builds kids' language skills and further helps to reinforce that caring relationship with the parent and child so that the child knows that there's a parent there who right. will talk to them, listen to them. So that, that's what we talk about um, when we talk about um, nurturing and attachment. Um, I think we also talk about um, playing in these nurturing relationships. I'm sure you've heard every family health and wellness educator say, turn off your screen and play. Oh yeah. <laughs> We've had <laughs> we, podcasts on that. Yeah, exactly. And, it, and we sneak it in. It's like our, our secret message. <laughs> yep. um, but we really, and it's very hard these days. Technology has, has totally taken over our lives. Um, but we can't emphasize enough that it doesn't have to be all day, but things like family meals, 15 minutes of undivided attention, giving kids time and, and talking to them, um, playing with them, sharing a story, cooking together. It is critical. So I will say that again, and we will continue to say it. Um, and with that uh, play, it means listening, you know, listening to what your child is saying, 
not arguing, not interrupting, not texting. I know I am very guilty of that, um, but taking the time to listen. And I'm sure you felt when your parents listened to you, you were heard and it was easier to overcome challenges. Absolutely. Now, all these are great suggestions, but I think a lot of parents think they have to do big things or like play long games with their children to really be doing like the best job. When in fact, like the little things I know with my grandkid, I just like hang out with him and he loves it. And I think that that goes a long way. You know what? Something like taking the dishes out of the dishwasher, right? Mm -hmm, that can right. be fascinating to a child. I think especially these days, parents think they have to teach their child Chinese or do, you know, backflips in order to teach their child. But it's true. The basic things, the hanging out, just yep. being with someone. You know, Roy, I think so many parents listening today, I hope they think, oh my God, I'm actually doing a lot of these things and I don't even realizing it. So many of these nurturing um, parent behaviors are innate, um, but what's cool is that they're actually proven science. So that instinct you have to comment on something your child is pointing at and respond to it, it's good stuff. Um, and it's proven to build resilience in children and build mm -hmm. things. Um, so that kind of leads into my next protective factor, number three, um, which is we call knowledge of parent and child development. And that's where CCE Family Health and Wellness comes in, right? You got it. Um, <laughs> we are building protective factors with all that we do. All Parenting right. education is critical, right? Yep. You know being the expert on your children. You don't have to, you don't, no one says you go to school to be a parent, so it can be really tricky. So seeking out resources like our family health and wellness programs, you know, knowing also that it's research-based, there's an overload of information. A lot of it is inaccurate when you do Google searches. So relying on trusted sources um, can really help us. As our children grow, we learn what's to be expected of them um, at, a, at a specific age. So when your child is having a temper tantrum at age two because they can't share toys, um, you know, wait a minute, they're not supposed to share it too. This relieves stress knowing that this is not what they're supposed to do. It also helps us um, utilize effective discipline strategies that you're not gonna lock your kid in their room for 10 minutes just because they're not sharing a toy. Um, so education is really a critical protective factor. So anyone listening today, they can get a star on their resilience chart for <laughs> building resilience in their children, um, parents, educators, professionals. So, um, we appreciate, you know, listening to all of this. Yeah, that's great. Parenting education is so important and you guys cover so many topics that I think parents really benefit from. You know, it's helpful to understand that it's really been shown to be a protective factor. Yeah, you know, a lot of these protective factors, you think, oh, it has to be rocket science, but it's not. It's an awareness of your social environment and knowing that, you know, little things can make a difference in helping your children to be able to overcome adversity. Um, that sort of segues me into protective fa factor four, which are social connections. Um, by this, what I mean is a supportive network of friends and trusted people you can rely on. As we always say, it takes a village to parent. Um, Isolation can be a risk factor. Uh, so building bridges, whether it be in person, virtually, through parenting groups, um, Zoom talks, meetups at a playground. Um, it's really those critical bridges that parents need and caregivers need, especially during the times of crisis. And that really is critical to resilience building. When you are struggling with things, knowing you have a friend to call, someone to um, you know, send your kids to, a relative to bring you a meal, um, that kind of stuff. 
Oh, I agree. Uh, you know, networks of friends, community support is so integral. Exactly. We all need it. Um, definitely. Um, and that, again, all these protective factors kind of flow into each other because they, they build on each other, right? So um, mm -hmm. with your support network, we also talk about having not only emotional supports, but concrete supports and resources. So, you know, this doesn't apply to everyone, but everyone is going to have the rain come down. Everyone is going to have adversity in their lives. So knowing where to turn to, you know, we think of financial crisis. Um, and where do you turn to? Do you need extra support? Are you dealing with food insecurity? Um, are you dealing with a health insurance issue? Um, even mental health issues. Um, we also like to think about things like childcare. You know, if you don't have good childcare, it's going to lead to a lot of other stressors. So securing those concrete resources um, are something critical. I, I don't think we can overlook that enough. Um, um, and again, that ebbs and flows depending on what's going on in your life, but knowing where to get the help you need. And if you can't get it yourself, trying to find the people in your community, social workers, religious leaders, teachers, doctors, um, those are people that can help you put, put you in touch with it. I think that had to have happened with Ray Charles. Yeah, that makes sense. I think knowing when to ask for help and take it is hard, but so necessary. Exactly. I think um, overcoming that pride or that stubbornness um, and knowing that you need help um, is critical and it makes the tough times easier. You know, it's not easy to do to ask for help, but small actions to alleviate risks, these may build resilience. So, and now we are on to number six. Um, we have reached our, our last ingredient, as I say, and that is what we called social emotional competence. Okay. You stumped me on that one. Yeah, that's, that's sort of a buzzword um, in the world uh, these days. I think if you talk to any kid who goes to school, they talk about, or administrators or teachers talk about social emotional learning. Basically, it's talking about feelings. So you don't go to school just to learn math anymore. We want right. you to be able to be better people, recognize feelings, learn that when things get tough or when you get angry, you don't fly off the handle, but you can identify your emotion and you can overcome things. So this was actually a late add-on to the protective factors framework once um, researchers realized this is a really important ingredient in raising children. Um, so the kids get a lot of it in school, but what this can look like at home it's really simple. It's probably things parents are doing without even realizing it. It's helping kids talk about feelings, making it a safe space to express emotion. Um, part of social and emotional com competence is helping to appreciate others and their perspectives. Um, you know, diversity, that's huge, knowing that one size doesn't fit all, families all look differently. Um, you know, having a broad worldview and also kindness, giving back to others you know, writing a letter to a neighbor who might be in need, watching a family movie together, those kinds of things, I think, are what we talk about when we talk about social emotional confidence. This is great. It all sounds like the right ingredients to build resilience in our children. Yeah, if only it were so easy, right? Yeah. But I think, I think thinking about them and knowing them and trying to incorporate them um, into everyday life and also recognizing what it is um, builds resilience um, helps. And you know, my last analogy or image is that of a seesaw. So we talked about um, all the risk factors. So on the one end of the seesaw, you have these heavy risk factors. Um, and we 
well, they might be heavy, they might not be heavy, but they're piling up on one end. On the other side of the seesaw, it's the protective factors. So in a traditional seesaw game, we want to achieve balance. We want to achieve equal weight distribution. Right. However, the notion behind this is to pile on the protective factors. And research has really shown that, that the more protective factors we have, the better, the more social supports, the more education, the more access to resources, um, you know, the more access to feelings. If you really pile those protective factors up, then the risk factors go up and the protective factors went up, um, went out, excuse me. So we want to build up protection and really counteract the risks. Um, and, and really just to drive the point home as parents or caregivers, or as that primary person um, in, the, in the child's life, you are the critical ingredient. You are, you can't make the recipe without um, having someone guiding your ship. You know, I guess that's it for my information about resilience. Okay. Um, yeah, but I have a uh, quote that I'd like to share with you that really talks. Sure. Kind of, I like to look at quotes, and I think a lot of these, there's a lot of quotes out there that drive this, um, these points home. So it's, happiness is not the absence of problems, but the ability to deal with them. Well put. Great right? words to live by, <laughs> let me tell you. Well... <laughs> Thanks so much for, for this. It's great to have you on the show today. And uh, you going to come back soon? Yeah, I hope so. They'll tell me when and I'll be back. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, very good. So we'll see you, see you again then. All right. Thanks for having me, Rory. All right, Kara. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. That's our podcast on raising a resilient child. Thanks for listening. We would love to hear your comments about today's topic. You can email us at jsj79 at cornell.edu or Kara directly at caw10 at cornell.edu. For more information on this and other topics, please visit our website at www.ccesuffolk.org forward slash family dash health dash and dash wellness forward slash human dash development. Take care. See you again.